Welcome, this is the very first interview on Web Payload and up first is the hugely talented and all-round nice guy, Brad Frost. Welcome, thanks Brad. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. Yep. Can you just tell people a little bit about yourself, both in a professional and your other interests? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a web designer based in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in the States, uh, which for those in Europe is about six hours west of New York City, a uh, smaller city, which is it's, it's a wonderful place. But I'm uh, born and raised uh, here and actually was in New York City working at agencies and stuff, uh, an agency called RGA until recently. And now I'm I'm on my own and I do uh, a bunch of different things. I do uh, some front-end web development. I do consulting, workshops, speaking, a whole lot of stuff. So I, I keep busy. Uh, but yeah, so I live here in Pittsburgh with my wife and my dog, Ziggy. <laughs> and that's, it, that's about that. Great. Right, so this is going to concentrate on uh, mainly mobile navigation. And the first question is, what are some of the biggest pitfalls and things to watch out for in a mobile nav? Right. Yeah, so so navigation on, on mobile web experiences uh, is, is a tricky beast, uh, especially whenever you consider responsive design, whenever we're sort of taking a more traditional sort of horizontal uh, navigation and, and collapsing it somehow into into a small screen where you don't have that luxury of space to sort of spread everything out onto a, a horizontal line. So I've been doing a lot of thinking about that, and I'd say that Sort of the, the the main goal of of mobile navigation is to sort of find that balance between uh, accessibility, uh, you know, just sort of being there, being present, but simultaneously sort of being tucked out of the way. So it's there when you need them, but it's you know it's cool enough to to give you your space and and not sort of get in the way. And especially with a lot of responsive sites, I'd say that that that's sort of one of my biggest frustrations is that you know, oftentimes you'll see uh, a mobile navigation, the primary navigation sort of taking up a screen and a half on your on your mobile phone. And, you know, at the end of the day, people aren't coming to your site to stare at your navigation, you know, they're coming for for your core content. Um, and so so I'd say that's that's probably the biggest thing that I see is basically the navigation just burning up a whole lot of uh, valuable screen real estate. And it's not to say that you know that that isn't uh, you know important or anything, and you know maybe the user gets to the the website and wants to pivot right away, um, but there's sort of a, a mini mantra uh, in the community by people like uh, Luke Rabluski and Jeremy Keith saying you know uh, content first, navigation second, right? We're we're trying to serve the content first and foremost and then give the user the option to pivot uh, sort of after they have uh, a chance to glance over the content. Yep. Great. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got a fantastic resource on your site with uh, some patterns that you mentioned. Can you just go through the most popular ones with some pros and cons? Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, there's there's about you know a hundred different ways to to slice navigation, and really with any any sort of interface pattern for responsive design, uh, there's about a hundred different ways you can do things. Uh, I on my blog, I, I wrote about some of the more popular and conventional uh, patterns that were sort of uh, that were emerging uh, at the time. Uh, sort of 
I guess as far as in order of popularity, there's there's that I call it the do nothing approach, where basically you just have a couple links uh, at the top of your site and it stays as a horizontal list, and that's good for for things like you know. Uh, navigations that only contain three or four links, uh, you might be able to squeeze those all on one line, but eventually that's going to just wrap onto a new line. So it doesn't really scale very well, but at the same time, it's super easy to implement just because there are no moving parts. There's no JavaScript. There's no nothing. It's just, it's, it's sort of easy to accomplish. So, uh, that's certainly a popular one. Uh, one of the, the, other people, they'll, they'll sort of take this horizontal uh, list of, of navigation options and collapse them into a select menu, like a form menu. And that certainly does the trick, but I, I think it's a little awkward. It's, it's sort of, you know, you sort of see a form field sort of floating in a place where you're not sort of used to seeing a form. Um, and so it, it, while it technically works, I think it's a little bit of an awkward interaction. Uh, another approach is, it, this one's interesting, and again, guys like Luke Rubluski sort of help popularize this pattern, where basically you have the navigation second, you know, basically in the footer of the website. So again, that content first, navigation second approach. Uh, so you have the nav actually sitting in the footer. And then in the header, you sort of have a little, uh, just a link that jumps you down to the footer of the website. And that's a, that's an interesting pattern. And, and again, it clears up a lot of space in the header. Uh, it gets people to the core content a lot faster. But my biggest issue with that one is that it's, it's pretty disorienting for a user where basically a user taps a button in the header and then all of a sudden they find themselves in, in, uh, the footer of the website. And so I, I sort of think of it as like a clever, you know, development technique it's it's clever from the point of of uh you know from a technical standpoint uh and again you know it's there's no javascript involved so it's really you know well supported and stuff like that but at the same time i think that that sort of uh awkwardness of sort of jumping the user into the footer um they're not going to make that connection they're not going to understand why suddenly they're in they're in the the website's footer so uh, but then, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say uh, uh, sort of building on that pattern of, of sort of content first, navigation second, I really like uh, something that I call the toggle, which is a pretty common approach you see uh, in a lot of sites like Starbucks and Microsoft and whatever, um, where basically you tap uh, a menu icon or uh, it might just say menu um, and then basically just slides the rest of the content down and exposes the navigation. And so it's a nice little toggle uh, where you can sort of expand and collapse a navigation list. And I really like that just because um, uh, it's elegant, you know, it slides things down. It keeps the user in place. It's still tucked away, so it's out of the way, but it, it exposes the nav as you need them. Uh, so yeah, so I, I think that that's, that's typically my go-to, where basically, you know, you have this toggle, you could collapse it, you could sort of hide it uh, behind, uh, you know, an icon or whatever, and then, you know, it's just a tap away, and it keeps the user in place. So, um, so yeah, so, so I'd say that that's that. The one thing you have to be careful about, and, and uh, with this pattern and, and pretty much any other pattern that requires uh, JavaScript, 
uh, like the the sort of left nav fly out pattern, like the Facebook pattern, where basically you know you tap an icon and the nav sort of slides out from the left like a tray, uh, using like a uh, an off canvas technique or something. And the thing with those, and you have to be careful uh, anytime you're sort of tucking these things away and triggering something uh, to show with with JavaScript is that you have to account for when JavaScript fails. Um, and Stephanie Rieger wrote this really great article. Whenever Obama uh, released his responsive uh, campaign website, um, they were utilizing that sort of Facebook slide-out uh, navigation. And um, But she tested it on all these different devices, and, and it worked in like two devices, but then didn't work in about 100. <laughs> so... Uh, and so basically, you know, the site's left without navigation, and that's not good, obviously. So uh, with anything with anything um, where you're sort of showing and hiding something conditionally, you really have to make sure that, you know, it, it, it degrades gracefully, that, that, you know, the default is, is that the user can still navigate your website. So I think that those are, yeah, those are basically the, um, uh, I'd say that, those are most of the popular patterns. There have been a few that come onto the scene and, and they're, you know, over the past couple of years and stuff. And I pay attention to those. But I think that broadly speaking, uh, they all sort of fall into one of these uh, categories. Yeah, great. great. So you talked um, there a little bit about the icon. And yeah. in most of the sites that I've seen, the icon is using three horizontal lines, simply that. Mm -hmm. Is that now seen as a convention, or do you need more than that, or what, what's your thoughts? Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, it's it's lovingly called the the hamburger icon, right? Those three horizontal lines indicating a, a, a menu. And it's sort of become the de facto standard. You know, it's it's you're seeing it a lot. You see it even in... Um, uh, in Mac OS X and stuff like that, you see it in, in uh, Chrome uh, being used uh, as like a menu uh, stuff. So, so you are seeing it sort of, you know, take, uh, gaining a lot of uh, traction as far as popularity goes. I'm personally a, a big fan of sort of spelling things out uh, in, I, I will actually say menu or navigation or something like that. Um, really like uh, Tim Cadlick on his website, he has a really nice combo where he has the sort of three lines and then right beside it, it says menu. I really like that just because it sort of helps people associate uh, the, you know, the icon with, with what it does. Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of left, to the jury, I did work on a project a while ago where we where we did do that, and they, they did some user testing and actually found that um, switching it to just just spelling it out, so saying menu, uh, actually got more engagement. So that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. So if we're taking kind of an example, let's say we're trying to retrofit um, a mega menu, one of those huge menus on hmm. a desktop site. Yeah, I mean, how on earth are we going to yeah. get that back down to to our mobile version? But what yeah. process and what's some of the technology that could potentially be used there? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Like, whatever I whenever I wrote my original blog post about about navigation patterns, I had all these people immediately jump down my throat, say, "Well, 
that's all well and good, but I have 17 layers of navigation. What do you do about that? <laughs> my my immediate answer, of course, is don't have 17 layers of yeah. navigation. <laughs> um, and that's a, one of the great things about mobile is that it forces us to focus, right? It forces us to sort of reevaluate, you know, what, you know, what it is we do, uh, you know, what people are actually using on our site. And so, so any sort of project like this is not just about translation, but it really is about revisiting your content, your, your hierarchy, your everything. And, um, whenever I, I was doing a couple, you know, we go through the analytics of a site, um, you know, any project that I've worked on and, you know, you find that in 70 links, you know, people are actually clicking on five of them. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, well, maybe we actually want to, you know, reprioritize that navigation to, to really sort of bubble up the things that people care about. And, you know, we found some that, you know, just people don't click on at all. Um, and so, so I think that mobile is a really good opportunity to, um, to reevaluate uh, your navigation. Uh, the other thing to say, you know, like, uh, sometimes you just have complex navigation. Sometimes you're a university or sometimes you're a huge retailer. Sometimes you, you know, you're just a massive organization that has a lot of moving parts and there's no way to sort of whittle it down to five links. Um, while, while there are patterns available, I, I also like to stress that, you know, one of the most important things you could do is to prioritize search, right? So instead of forcing users to go through this like Russian nesting doll, you know, sort of blindly sifting around your navigation, you know, give users the option to sort of, you know, search for the content they're looking for and, and to get to it uh, easily. Um, but yeah, as far as, as far as some of the patterns go for complex navigation sites with big mega menus and sub navs and all that stuff. Um, I, one of the, I think that my go-to pattern for complex navigation is basically, like I call it the multi-toggle, where it's basically just nested accordions, right? So you sort of tap on, uh, you know, the menu, it drops things down, the user is able to scan over the parent categories, and then whenever they decide which parent category they want to, to drill in deeper to, they just tap on that, and then it exposes the sub-navigation uh uh, items for that. Microsoft does a good job at that. They have sort of, you know, drops down and then they have products and then you, and then you expand products and then exposes like a hundred different Microsoft products. But, um, but it's nice though, because, you know, the user is able to sort of see, scan things at a glance. Um, that pattern is really, uh, nestable. So even if you did have the 17 layers of navigation, you could technically do that. Although again, I wouldn't encourage it. Um, there's a couple uh, other patterns. I worked on a project earlier this year that was um, that utilized something that I call the skip the sub nav, where basically, basically the idea with a lot of these big mega menus and drop downs and stuff like that is that a lot of that content is actually repeated from uh, the the landing pages um, content, right? So, for example, uh, you know you click on products. And that might take you to a products landing page that actually lists out all the all the all the products there. Um, so it's it's almost a little redundant to include it in a mega menu. It's certainly a lot more efficient. Um, but so one of the patterns that 
I utilize. I don't feel too good about it, but I don't feel I'm not losing any sleep over it either. Uh, where basically on smaller screens, the user will tap on products and get taken right to that landing page, and then they can make their next step from from the the next page's landing page. Um, so it's a little it's a little less efficient, but at the same time, it's sort of you know, takes care of having to deal with these big mega menus and stuff like that. Um, so that's, that's an interesting pattern. And then the third one that I, I really like, um, Sony uses this on their responsive site where they sort of have this, uh, I call it the old right to left, where basically you tap, you know, exposes uh, a list of links and then you could tap on one, and then it sort of does this little animation from the right to the left, sort of slides out. And so you sort of drill down into the navigation with using this sort of right-to-left animation pattern. I really like that because um, a lot of mobile operating systems have that convention anyway. Like if you're in an iOS app or an Android app or something, and you tap into something to, you know, your settings or whatever, and it'll actually sort of do that same sort of thing wherever you're basically drilling into an experience in this sort of right to left uh, panel based uh, navigation. And so I think that that's pretty familiar to a lot of people. Um, the things that I get concerned about with, with a pattern like that is that there's just a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of animation and animation is sort of notoriously choppy, especially on, uh, a lot of like Android devices and, and other devices and stuff like that. But then again, just anytime I see anything moving on a web experience, I'm like, needs tested, needs tested, just because, you know, the more moving parts you have, the more likely something is to break. So uh, it's not necessarily a negative, but it is something just in general with, with navigation. It's important to, to test that um, in as many environments as possible. So... Yeah, complex navigation is is a little more challenging, but I think it's I think it's doable. Yeah, great. No, I think it's um, it's certainly there's been a bigger, much bigger focus recently. What I've seen on performance. I mean, a lot of people were just mm -hmm. chucking stuff in there, but I think we've now started to realise that you can't just uh, you know it might run fantastically well on your iPad, your iPhone, or a cracking browser and operating system, but it's just not going to run in something that's a little bit degraded in experience and and software and stuff and it's it's good that we're starting to focus on that because there's a lot of problems i can still see on, on sites when we're dealing with performance yeah yeah it's it's certainly again i think that the first couple of years of of responsive design was just sort of getting our bearings straight as far as um as far as layout goes and sort of just learning the basics of how we actually, you know, use media queries and all that stuff. But, you know, as time moves on, uh, we're really starting to understand that uh, these, these performance problems that have actually been there forever um, aren't going away. In fact, you know, the average web page is now like a meg and a half and and basically, you know, has been increasing. I think the the numbers like it increased like twenty eight percent since last year. The average page weight, which is just bonkers. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, we have, you know, we're using the web on slower networks. You know, uh, you know these cell networks where you you know we're on edge. We're on three G. We're on crappy hotel Wi Fi and stuff like that. And so these issues that have always been there are are really starting to to boil over, which is fantastic. 
uh, because we're we're finally able to have a lot of conversations uh, about performance. And that's something that I talk a lot about. I talk about sort of performance through the lens of design rather than through through development and stuff, because I'd always get really frustrated. And even though I'm technically a developer, uh, anytime you start talking about performance, you get into, you know, far futures, expires, headers, and g-zipping, and minifying, and, like, all this, like, crazy technical jargon, and it's like, no, 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 like, everybody, you know, your clients, the people running the project, the designers working in Photoshop, like, everybody needs to be on board with performance, and so we need to sort of speak uh, about it in a more general way, you know, talk about sort of the business reasons, talk about the design reasons uh, about why performance really matters. Yeah, great. Hopefully got um, Tim Cadluck coming up on a, another interview, which will be uh, focused on performance. So That's you, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. He just gave a really great talk in, in Germany uh, about about performance. And it was um, it was it was awesome. It was just so good. And again, it was, it was all because it was uh, sort of spoken through the lens of of, you know, how to talk about this stuff with your clients, with your teammates and stuff and get them to care that it's not just a technical best practice, but but actually like an important design consideration. So really cool. Looking forward to that one. So what is the biggest thing that you have learned recently in a mobile project? Oh, geez. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of um, a lot of what I've been focusing on um, and, and the things that I've been really trying to get better at is has actually a lot less to do with with uh any sort of technical trick or design trick or pattern or something like that, but rather, you know, how we, how we talk about, um, and, and show clients things and, and convince our, our teammates to do the right thing, uh, and, and talk about, you know, process and to work, uh, work better together. And this year I had, uh, extraordinary opportunity to work with uh, a, a bunch of super smart people uh Jennifer Brook, Josh Clark, Dan Mall, uh Jonathan Stark uh on on a few projects where where basically we're we're actually able to really work together in in a way that I've always sort of considered to be the ideal in my head where we're basically making the most uh of everyone's time um respecting everybody's time, talking openly with the client, not sort of doing these big reveals and, and sort of going away for a month and then coming back and saying, ta-da, here's, here's what your website's going to be, but rather sort of including them in the process. And I think that that's easily uh, the best thing that I've been uh, learning this year is how to work together uh, how to work across disciplines, uh, how to include the client in conversations, how to sort of deconstruct an interface and explain to your team and your clients and stuff why that sort of stuff matters, why sort of doing a more systematic uh, redesign, you know, approaching an interface in a more systematic way uh, is better uh, for the entire design process, not just for, for the current process, um, in the current, you know, scope, but, but long-term, you know, sort of establishing, uh, something that 
can very much serve as a foundation uh, moving forward. So uh, that's I've I've had a blast, uh, and again had <laughs> had the ridiculously great opportunity to to work with people who who I have the utmost respect for. So it's been it's been fun. Yeah, fantastic. Some great advice there. So we're getting off a little bit of the mobile navigation, but a responsive question, I know it's one that's still a little bit open in my mind. I see a lot of developers, they're using M's over pixels when they're actually declaring their width in their media queries. What would be the advantage of using an M over a pixel in that scenario? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, uh, it's interesting just because, one, we've been uh, moving away from pixels as far as styling everything else, right? We're styling our layout with percentages and with M's and stuff like that. We're, you know, adjusting our padding, our margins and stuff. And as far as M's and REMs and stuff like that, we're sizing our fonts with percentages and REMs and M's and, and all these other relative units, which is fantastic. Um, but then we get to our media queries and somehow those are, are still stuck in, in these pixel values. And I think that, why that's happening is because, well, I mean, it's a transitioning time, but then also just because we talk about our devices being 320 pixels wide or 768 pixels wide, we don't really talk about them as, as far as relative units. So I think that that's sort of why it's still happening. But um, so I'd say that we want to start using M's for our media queries uh, just again, because we're using relative units for everything else. But then it also has a really nice um, uh, accessibility sort of benefit, where basically um, whenever you zoom, uh, whenever the user changes their zoom value, like me personally, I like sitting back in my chair and reading articles and stuff like that. So I end up going command plus, 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 plus all the time on any website, really, just to read a story a little better. Um, it's not that my eyes are going bad, but it actually does help those those sort of low vision people and stuff. But basically, whenever you, si whenever you write your media queries with, with M's, um, the browser actually listens to the user's zoom level. Um, and so basically, as you command plus, 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 the media queries will trigger and essentially leave you with, uh, if you were to zoom in far enough, leave you with a nice single column uh, zoomed in reader uh, reading experience, mm, got you. Uh, which is really, really cool. So uh, I actually just published a post uh, today uh, Liza Gardner wrote a really great post called The M's Habit, Proportional Media Queries for the Win. And they're using that on their site, uh, that technique on their site. And I made a little animated GIF of, of how as I zoom in, as, as I change my user zoom settings, um, what happens to the layout and stuff and basically just grows and eventually the sidebar disappears and collapses underneath uh, the main content, leaving me with this sort of supersized zoomed in mobile view, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Great. Yeah, I'll try and put all these uh, fantastic links in the episode notes. So that's um, pretty much it, Brad. Big, big thanks. Um, how do people keep up with you? Uh, I'm pretty much I'm on Twitter all the time. Uh, Brad underscore frost. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to blog 
a bit more lately, which is uh, on bradfrostweb.com. And so those are the two main areas where I'm active. And, uh, yeah, I'm mostly mostly Twitter, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sharing a bunch good. of stupid <laughs> stuff, yeah. <laughs> okay, big thanks, bud. Thank you very hey, much. Hey, thank you very much, John. I really appreciate it.